bows our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for gathering us together so faithfully as a family. Thank you for North Christian Church, Father, this building, this chapel. Thank you for giving us the ability and the privilege of spreading the good news about your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to a much broader audience even than this one here. Father, we do pray for those in the congregation that are not well, um, that you return them to the fold in your good timing, of course. But our prayers do go go out to them, and we would like them to know that. We pray also for those that are still lost in this world without hope, that they be humbled before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this such a wonderful time of rejoicing, Father, of relaxing, of being filled with the Spirit, Father, and encouraged and just basking in your love. So we do just ask for your blessings on this message this evening. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part 56, Proverbs 17, Wisdom. Um, if you've been paying attention, you know that there's been a heavy emphasis on an old friend of ours called the deceitfulness of sin as of late. And uh, personally, I've loved it because it gets us situated again. It, it kind of piques our attention again, gets us out of maybe a slumbering type state, you know. It says be on guard. You, you know, it's one thing to sleep at night, but you can't rest from the deceitfulness of sin up here on the board. Um, as we've been developing this, or as the Spirit's been developing this before us, one of the key um, instruments, if you want to call it that, for, that he's used to drive the concept home is this. The more you insist on your, quote, light, the deeper you sink into the deceptiveness of darkness. Your insistence drives you deeper into darkness where you are less and less likely to, quote, see it all as truth, Ephesians 5, 13 to 14. And so there's this sort of snowballing effect that sin has in our lives. If we're not humble, if we don't stay with the Word of God, uh, we can be persistently and cumulatively deceived. So we end up further and further away from um, the truth. Last time the Spirit gave us a, you know, a real-life example of a woman whose mother gave her horrible advice as a child, implanting the, or in the impressionable little girl's head that God's command for her to, you know, someday submit to her husband in a family structure is wrong. And that was that lie. The mother never gave her daughter Holy Scripture to support or refute her claim. She just did what a lot of mothers do today. She lied to her child. She lied to her child. Um, and I was thinking about that. Lies like that grow roots. Those kind of lies, they they grow roots and are the cause of so much misery in this world. 
so much misery in this world. And I thought about the little girl. All the while, the poor little girl has her own flesh even to deal with, her, you know, version of Tashuka to deal with. So it's not even a fair fight. I thought about the little girl. It's not even a fair fight. Because like most little girls, this lie feeds their own human flesh long before they are even saved, if ever. And so it's, it's not even a fair fight. You're preying on someone's flesh even with such lies. So at the end of the day, as the story went, the little girl grows up and is saddled with not only that lie, not only that one, but all the other lies that are attached to it like flypaper. That one lie has a real stickiness to it, as do most lies. But this is the one we've been relating to. And that's one of the most deceitful things about sin. It's like flypaper. Up here on the board, a quote, good lie, and I don't mean good, obviously, but you know what I'm saying. A potent, I should have said a potent lie, or a well-formed lie. But nonetheless, you know what I mean. A good lie never stands alone for long. A lie that is digested in just the right way is like an essential vitamin, let's say, to the human flesh. Um, it ends up all over the body in the far reaches of it, just like if we were to ingest a vitamin. It goes to the far corners of our body. And a lie does that to the human flesh. It permeates the entire human flesh. And while it's doing that, it attracts other lies to itself. For example, in the case of the real-life lie with the woman here, the original lie that this passage of Holy Scripture um, is wrong. That's the lie. That Holy Scripture is wrong up here in the board. We have this, Ephesians 5, to 23. Very clearly, wives, submit to your own husbands. That's clearly stated doctrine as to the Lord. Not because even there's anything special about your husband. That's the whole point. You do that as to the Lord. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. If a woman rejects this clearly stated biblical doctrine, the point is, she has an even bigger problem. This is just the start of it. This would just be the first lie in a sequence of lies. So this woman, if she rejects, say, this verse, like a lot of women do, um, or this passage, she has an even bigger problem. She is essentially just rang the dinner bell for a host of other lies. For example, how much easier will it be for her to undermine her husband's discipline towards their children? How much easier would it be? 
how much easier will it be for her to tell her husband to, you know, bugger off when he tells her to stop drinking in front of the kids? You're hurting the kids. Or how much easier will it be for her to ignore him when he asks his family to gather together for dinner and pray beforehand? She's thinking, you know, who does he think he is? And so you can see how lie builds upon lie. Before she knows it, the original lie that has now become a part of her flesh's DNA, let's say, has fostered the adoption of many other lies. In other words, that one core lie opened up the door for a bunch of other lies to come flooding in. And that's the way the deceitfulness of sin works. Satan, the kingdom of darkness, sin, if we're to personify it, it doesn't need a large crack in the armor. It just needs a crack. That's it. It just needs a little opening. And then in floods a bunch of lies. The first lie is like a shoehorn, and then the rest just follow in. The point is, again, up here on the board, a, quote, good lie never stands alone for long. This is precisely why we can never let our guards down. We can never let our guards down, especially, as the Spirit's been pointing out, especially us men. Because according to the Bible, we are the tone setters, the leaders, if you will, in the home. Hence the guidance from the Spirit up here on the board. This was from Sunday. What's the message you're sending your kids? Not what comes out of your mouth. What's the message you're sending your children? Do they see the head of the household in love, functioning in love? Are his actions equal to or maybe even greater than his words? Because at the end of the day, this is meaningless without this. You have to walk the walk. Spineless men send the following message to their children. I don't love you enough to fight for you. I know what's going on. You and I both know what's going on in this dysfunctional home of ours. But you know what? I'm not going to fight for you. And that's the message that a spineless man sends his own children. And then you wonder why those poor kids grow up with daddy issues. Because daddy never stood up for them. And they knew it. They knew deep down that daddy loved himself more than he loved them. Again, I don't love you enough to fight for you. I love myself more. So I'm going to protect my own selfish interests by allowing your mother to rule the household. Talk is cheap, my friends. Up here on the board, Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. Look carefully then how you walk. Don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk. 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the most use of the time because the days are evil. Excuse me. Again, the anchor point to our messages has been up here on the board, the deceitfulness of sin. The more you insist on your light, the deeper you sink into the deceptiveness of darkness. Your insistence drives you deeper into darkness where you are less and less likely to see it all as truth. Think about that. You know, in all fairness, some people might, this might seem, you know, circumstances might seem utterly dire. Um, you know, they might fear that they'll never pull out of the pit. You know, their horde of lies has put them into. But we believers who know better have real hope. We have real hope. This week's blog talks a little bit about that as well. Um, when we come across people that are just sad, the, uh, the best thing we can do for them is pray for them. We know better. We know we have hope. Jesus describes this hope for us. Go to Mark 10.24. Mark 10.24. So for some people, they say, I'm just so wound up, or maybe they don't even realize it, but they are, so wound up in a web of lies, there's no escape, seemingly. But we ought never lose hope. And Jesus describes this. Mark 10.24. Mark 10, 24, and the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult is it? it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Now, couple verse 27 with this on the board, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If you couple those two things together, we can synthesize, we conclude, our hope is in the power of God's Word. If you want someone to be delivered from a web of lies, some of you are like, that's me, or it was me, or that's my friend, or that's my relative, somebody. If you want anyone to be delivered, it has to come by the Word of God. Up here on the board, the power of truth. The Word of truth is the one thing always able to break the change of bondage to lies. We don't... Look, I, I forget who I was talking to about this, but maybe multiple people this week. We don't rescue people. We are not rescuers. We can give people the truth. We can pray for them. We can be good friends, and, you know, even when it's difficult, 
Uh, try to reorient them, like Galatians 6, do it in a spirit of gentleness, right? But we don't rescue anyone, so we all need to take that red cape off and throw it in the closet because we ultimately do not save people in any sense of the word. The world would like to prop us up, especially men, right? Oh, you're my hero. Everybody loves to hear that one. But you're my hero, right? I know a lot of husbands that were set up for massive failure and misery because the wives said, but you're my hero. That is the biggest setup on the planet because we're not heroes. Amen, men? We're not. And God never designed us to be heroes. So we've got to take our red cape off and throw it in the closet and say, well, if I'm not the hero, then who's the hero? Uh, Jesus. Jesus Christ is the hero. Tell your wife, you go to him. You want a savior? He's your savior. I'm not your savior. I got enough burden in this house than to be your savior. The power of truth, the word of truth is the one thing always able to break the chains of bondage to lies. As I've taught in the past, the word never comes back empty-handed. That's a fact. The word never comes back empty-handed. I think I wrote a blog on that. I know I taught on it maybe a couple years ago. That The truth never leaves a person unaffected. Everyone is affected by the truth. One way or the other, you will be affected, but nobody is left unmoved, untouched, unchanged by the truth. And that's what it means when the word never comes back empty-handed. In fact, if you recall, the Lord God describes the word's capabilities this way. Go to Isaiah 55, verse 11. Isaiah 55, verse 11. The word is the answer. The word of truth. That's what is able to save someone. That is what is able to deliver someone. You are not a hero. You don't fly around with a cape. Um, you don't save people. I've also heard it's not just men. I think if you're honest, ladies, you probably either yourself or you know some ladies that they're attracted to men that they feel like they can change, they can save. You know, and, and some, may, <laughs> some men play that to the hill. They throw up the white flag, you know. Oh, somebody, somebody help me. I'm just a desperate, wretched man. And the woman sets out on her little journey to change that man. Ladies, you don't save anyone either. Amen? Oh, that was a little quieter, huh, DJ? <laughs> Ladies, how about an amen? amen? Yeah, you don't save anyone either, so stop. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Isaiah 55, 11. <laughs> that was funny. That was a funny experiment. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That is the very, those are the very words of the omnipotent, 
holy, sovereign God of the universe. Omnipotent meaning all-powerful. If he says it and he wills it, you know what? It's better than done. It's a foregone conclusion. It doesn't even have to play out. It's done. Here's the Amplified version up on the board. Isaiah 55, 11, Amplified. So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, useless, without result, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Any questions? So we have a hope that transcends the power any lie might have over us. There's always something more powerful than the strength of a lie or the strength of a web of lies. There's always something that's able to cut through it all. That's Hebrews 4.12. To get to the root cause of the matter and blow the whole thing up. And it's the word of truth. And so we have that hope in us. Even we might apply it to ourselves. I feel lost. I feel desperate. I feel depressed even. This is why you read the word of God. So that you can be encouraged. So that that word can get to the marrow. To the meat of the problem. And reveal it to you. And you can be delivered. Nobody else is able to do that. Because that takes the word. And God the Holy Spirit working in you as an individual. And that's how you're delivered. It's not the word the spirit, and some fool with a cape. So we have hope that transcends the power any lie might have over us. Think about it. If the word can save a person from hell, then it can certainly deliver a person from a web of lies they've been living in. And the beautiful thing about godly deliverance is that it always brings you one step closer to him, to the sphere of his love. When you're functioning in a web of lies, you're here, you're antagonistic, you're somewhat alienated from him. When you're delivered from that, he pulls you closer to the sphere of his love. This is what Jesus was talking about in one of our favorite passages as of late, Go to John 15, verse 10. John 15, verse 10. That's what Jesus wants for us, in other words. It's funny. Jesus is not a taskmaster. Well, you're going to that. Flip too many. Take your time, take your time. Yeah, Jesus is not a taskmaster. Look, let's read that. John 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That's what he wants. He doesn't want to whip you into shape. He wants to call you into shape. He wants to call you unto himself. He wants to give you the truth to cut all those lie or the ties to all those lies 
to cut through the web. You can even imagine it. He'll cut you out of that web of lies and bring you back to himself so that you can experience true joy. Up here in the boy, that your joy may be full. Don't miss this. Obedience is the basis of your joy. Obedience is the basis of your joy. Who isn't joyful when frolicking in love? To be in love is to bask in joy. This precious love is a function of your obedience. And so it's not about whipping you into shape. It's about bringing you, delivering you out of this thing back to the sphere of love. I was going to take it a place in Romans, but it's too, uh, too confusing. Um, isn't this what we want for every living human being? Isn't that what we want? Don't we want the same thing that Jesus wanted when he, when he spoke this? I want my joy to be in you so that your joy may be full. You understand? Isn't that what you want for people you love? Not just yourself. It's what I want, that's for sure. I want everybody to experience the joy that he gives, the peace that he gives, the love that he gives. I want everyone to, to bask in it. It feels like to me that if, if that were the case, um, there'd be a lot less misery in the world. There'd be a lot less contention. There'd be a lot less friction, you know, uh, in the world. If everybody just was able to just be at peace, starting with themselves and then with each other, uh, doesn't that just sound like divine? I mean, that's heaven. Take that to the nines and that's heaven, which is why most of us are like, I cannot wait, right? to be out of this awfulness down here on earth where people essentially live and continue to, you know, spin webs of lies. So peace on earth. I mean, I was thinking about that. Even unbelievers are often cited as wishing for this kind of peace on earth, this kind of joy. Um, and again, think about it. If everyone was magically filled with joy, there would be fewer conflicts, that's for sure. Um, fewer wars, maybe, probably. And a lot less miserable marriages and families, too. If people were just at peace with each other, or within, even within themselves, right? I mean, the only reason, well, the primary reason people are awful spouses is because they're miserable. It's not because their spouse is a jerk. Most of the time, it's them. That's half the problem. Again, up here on the board, the power of truth, the word of truth is the one thing always able to break the change of bondage, uh, chains of bondage to lies. Last time the Spirit took it one step further, up here on the board, an obedient person is a protected person. And so this is where we start coming full circle. Obedience begins with truth. You cannot obey truth if you don't know it. So, read the word of truth faithfully and obey whatever you read and enjoy abiding in God's love. And so that was sort of the crux of Sunday's message, the crescendo, if you would, was to do this thing, obey, be ushered into the spheres of his love, appear on the board as encouragement, now's the time. Don't just take this and go, oh, that just sounds so poetic, right? Oh, this, you know, it's just, oh, I'm just going to, la, la, la. No, now is the time. Don't just enjoy the message. 
Digest it. Digest it into your own life. Uh, make it now. Make it now. So now's the time to receive the word implanted. Now's the time to align your perceptions with God's reality. Now's the time to protect your family. Whatever you do, though, never throw in the towel. Never throw in the towel. You know, I'll tell you something from a pastor's perspective. That's one of the biggest fears, right? Because think about what I just taught. I know that to be true. I know that it's only the word of, I'm not your savior. Person next to you is not your savior. Spouse isn't your savior. Friend's not your savior. The only thing that can deliver a person is the word of truth. And so my encouragement is always the same. Whatever you do, don't quit, okay? Just don't stop. Even if you look like that person at the end of the Ironman triathlon, that, you know, that all their faculties have let go even, and they're crawling to the finish line, if that's you, that's good. Just keep moving. Even if it's a shuffle step day to day, just be intent on moving. Don't ever throw in the towel. Even if, you know, the, this last week you've only had enough time, which is garbage speak, but you know what I'm saying. I just don't have such time. You know what I'm saying. You haven't found the time to read, you know, several chapters in your Bible. One's better than nothing. One's something, amen? I mean, that's better than nothing. Don't make that your mantra, right? People are like, one's better than nothing, <laughs> right? Once a day, then it's like, One's better, once a week's better than nothing. And then it's once a month, it's better than nothing. <laughs> right? You don't want to do that either, but you know what I'm saying. Something's better than nothing. We all go through our ups and downs. And on our downside, sometimes, you know, we're not doing so well. We, we're kind of shuffle-stepping. Just don't ever throw in the towel. Just don't do that. And that is a big fear of a shepherd like yours truly because I know in my heart, that it's the word that's going to deliver you. So if I can just keep you going and keep you, you know, encouraged and, and just get you to go that next step, I'm happy. I'd prefer you go a little faster. <laughs> you know, so we could move on, people. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, but as long as you never stop, that's the key. There's real hope to be had. That's the beauty of it up here on the board. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer for yourself and for others. For yourself, you're not going to, listen, you not only don't wear a cape for others, you don't wear a cape for yourself. You have to go to him in prayer for your own deliverance as well as others. We just Take that cape off and throw it out. Be constant in prayer. Say, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. You know this better than I do. Help me. Increase my faith. Again, up here on the board, an obedient person is a protected person. In case you didn't figure that out, um, you're to submit to your pastor as well. And what, did, what just came from this pulpit? Don't stop. Keep taking in the word of God. Be encouraged that way. Why? Because you will be protected. 
Here's where we ended on Sunday. Go to 1 Peter 5, 6. 1 Peter 5, 6. A little bit more encouragement. First Peter 5, 6. Again, hopefully you see what the Spirit's saying here. Um, an obedient person is a protected person. The things that used to bother you, the things that used to get through, they no longer can get through. Uh, as he takes some of those root cause lies out of your life, out of your soul, though that crack closes up. You know, and that's it. Not open for business anymore here. That's it. I'm not falling for the slew of lies that follow. First Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him. Put it all on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in the, your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Remember your calling, my beloved friends. Go to Romans 5, verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1. Remember your calling. Romans 5, verse 1. Keep, keep holding fast to that hope. Right? You might be down on you. I don't know, maybe some, I'm speaking to someone right now that's really down on themselves because they've been ensnared by a certain sin or a web of sin. I don't know. But you have hope. That's the point. You should be encouraged because the word of truth can, can and will deliver you. You grab hold of it. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoice in them, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So reflect here with me. Said persecution from the kingdom of darkness is actually a tool. In other words, as we just saw in Romans 5, it's a tool that God uses to strengthen his children. It would be very easy for God to just say, leave this one alone. You. He could be talking about you. He could just put a hedge around you and go, this one you have to leave alone. No fiery darts, no attacks, no suffering. But he doesn't do that, does he? 
No. He lets an awful lot in. He never lets in more than you can handle. That's Holy Scripture. But he lets a lot in. It's one of the ways you know that you're advancing uh, in your faith, is that you start to be tested more greater and greater ways. Um, and so if you look at what Holy Scripture teaches us, this persecution is actually a tool that God uses to strengthen his children. And it has the glorious effect of pressing us closer to him. It has the effect of actually bringing us closer to him. Because we have to lean on him all the more, you know, cast our anxieties on him. Um, we, our, our character increases, therefore our hope increases as a result of endurance, right? And hope doesn't disappoint. And so this persecution, any kind of attack, any kind of suffering, it actually brings us closer to him. Visualize it this way. Um, if you're standing between two people and one person rejects you so much that they push you away from themselves, who are they pushing you, you towards? The other person. When the first person is the kingdom of darkness and the second is God, guess what? That's a really good thing. That's a really good thing. Let the world push as much as they want. They are pushing us right into the arms of the Lord. Let them show their wares. Let them show their fangs. Let them do their best to us. All it proves is that they're the jackasses. They're the people we don't want a part to be a part of. That's all right. You push me right into the arms of my Lord. Now, applying this thinking to marriage and family, we say the same thing. Go ahead, persecute me so I can realize how evil you are and be pushed right into the arms of my Lord. Go ahead, take your best shot so I can realize with this by my side, I can see it all as truth, Ephesians 5. And you're going to drive me right into the arms of my Lord all the more. We are blessed when we persevere during our tribulations in this world. So says our sovereign creator. So says our sovereign creator. Therefore, we rightly conclude up here on the board, godliness and families pays dividends for life. Godliness and families, up, keeping up that godly family, it pays dividends for life. Yes, you will be under attack. You probably get it, you know, on family gatherings, on holidays. You're probably going to get it all those times. But it pays dividends for life. Furthermore, the Spirit has had us consider the, quote, opportunities that marriage and family present for believers. That is to say, they represent opportunities to bring glory to God. Whenever we pass a test, whenever we overcome tribulation or trial from persecution, we bring glory to God because it shows the rest of the world and the rubbernecking angels that His grace is truly sufficient to deliver us. And that's a beautiful thing. We depend on Him. He delivers us. He's glorified. So I hope you see the point the Spirit's making here, up here on the board. 
on marriage and family. Trying to get back to our primary course here. A marriage and family of believers is designed to bring glory to God. That is the very first objective of both divine institutions for believers. Again, a marriage and family of believers is designed to bring glory to God. That is the very first objective. It's not because you want to have sex. It's not because you want to have two and a half kids, a white picket fence, and a house. It's not because you want the hot wife or the rich husband or the hot husband and the rich wife. It's none of that garbage. It's literally to bring glory to God. That is the design of marriage and family. And that should be the very first objective. How many believers have been properly equipped enough to where this is their, let's call it their status quo thinking? How many believers have been properly equipped enough to where this point on the board they go, yeah, that's us. Compare that to how many believers get married with a skewed perception of reality or have children with skewed perceptions, riddled with lies that they received from the kingdom of darkness. I mean, it's not even close. It's honestly not even close that I can see. Even among so-called Christian ranks, I wonder how many Christians actually are getting married with the first thought of being able to bring glory to God, to reflect the relationship between Christ and His bride. How many, how many so-called Christians do you know that got married under, under those, that thinking? How many? I don't know. I, I could just say this, that I think, is it fair to say it's a lot less than the other ones? Up here on the board, the danger of skewed perception. Disoriented people make terrible, life-changing decisions about marriage and family due to false presumptions about what these divinely ordained institutions were meant to be. They make terrible decisions. They go into it expecting X, Y, and Z. Maybe the biggest trap is, you know, the romance one that it's always going to be like the honeymoon, and the honeymoon, you know, fades after about a month, and they're like, what the heck? Now I'm, now I'm stuck. I'm stuck with this troll, right? This miserable troll that used to live under a bridge, right? <laughs> I'm stuck with that thing. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, if you went into that marriage with the right attitude, you wouldn't have this attitude a month later. Just saying, maybe, just maybe you would have waited until God brought someone in your life that was fit for you, that was fit for marriage, that understood marriage, that understood what the Spirit's teaching us this evening about the divine institutions. Maybe you should have waited Hey, when this all plays out, there's inevitably pain and suffering, especially when those involved are believers. Why? Because believers are held to a higher standard. The higher standard for believers 
that the Spirit's been teaching us about for some time now is actually a double-edged sword up here on the board. Again, the danger of skewed perception. For believers, what was meant to be a blessing turns into a curse. That is the fate of the believer who enters into marriage and family with little or no regard for God's will. What was meant to be a blessing becomes a curse. Why? False pretenses, false expectations, false goals. Again, what was meant to be a blessing turns into a curse. That is the fate of the believer who enters into marriage and family with little or no regard for God's will. Here's our recurring principle from Proverbs 17.6 once again up here on the board. We do know this, that God loves godly families. Godly families. You know, like two believers who got together with the primary objective of bringing glory to Him. I'm not saying you can't love one another at a personal level. I'm not saying marriage should be sterile. Uh, That's not in the Bible either. What I'm saying is the primary objective, the design of marriage, is to bring glory to God. Is to bring glory to God. How does that happen? Men love your wives. Wives respect your husbands. Doesn't even tell the wives to love the husbands. Some of you are like, some of the ladies are like, amen. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> right? Other than the generic love, you know. God loves godly families. And the net net is that godly families abound in one thing that ties them all together in unity. And that is love. Godly love. Not, you know, romantic love. The stuff that is written about in, you know, bestsellers. Um, Not that. Godly love. Objective love. Love that is forgiving. Love that is gracious and merciful and looking to God for the answers. That's godly love. That's what holds a godly family together. And that's what brings glory to God. And this is why I've been instructed to teach you such messages. Go to Ephesians 4.15. Ephesians 4.15. It's because God loves godly families. That's the reason. It's not, it's not just the conclusion we've arrived at. Comes, it turns out that that's the reason why I'm teaching this. Because God wants to bring you to a place that you realize this. This is an age-old truth. God's always loved godly families. It didn't just happen. This isn't some conclusion that we just figured out. This has always existed. And so he has me teaching you this so that you get it. Ephesians 4.15 Rather... Speaking the truth in love, we ought to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up 
in love so that it builds itself up in love. And so love is the pinnacle of any activity for a believer in Christ. Love is the pinnacle. And we first learn of this love in our families. And that is how God has designed it. Maximum glory to God is the result of His love being present in a family. It's not, you know, God's not glorified because you're so in love with each other. That's not what brings God glory. God's not glorified when you, I don't know, are able to buy your kids a PS5 or whatever number it's on now and spoil them. God's not glorified by any of that stuff. Maximum glory to God is the result of His love being present in a family. That's maximum glory to God. If you know God, then you know this is His goal, which is what? To glorify Himself. Why would He design marriage and family the way He did? To glorify Himself. That is the righteous thing above all in this universe. That God be glorified. And that all activities endorsed by Him bring glory to Him just the same. Man is not to be glorified. Right? nor are his ungodly activities. Man is not to be glorified. So men, take off the capes. Women, take off the capes. Men, stop hunting for a trophy wife. Women, stop hunting for a trophy husband. Get rid of all your preconceptions about what marriage and family is supposed to be and pay close attention to what it was designed to be by God. Because God loves godly families, and He blesses them, and He graces them out, and He fills their homes with love, love that lasts, not ones that are looking for loopholes in the law so they can get a divorce. Not that kind of garbage. Man is not to be glorified, nor are his ungodly activities. I was thinking about this. Marriage and family are like, you know, in military terms, they call it the tip of the spear. If there's a campaign in a war, you know, sometimes it looks like the flock of birds, you know, and, it, and there's the, the, you know, they call it the tip of the spear, right? It's the tip of the spear. Uh, and it's that point that is really at the, the, the bleeding edge of battle, right? Well, guess what? Marriage and family are tip of the spear activities, so to speak. They're tip-of-the-spear activities. They are the hotly contested battlegrounds being fought over so viciously. So viciously. I mean, think about oh, just, God, just politics alone. Just the stuff that gets brought up. The destruction of godliness in marriage and family. It's very often the, one of the most talked about things even for presidential races. 
What's your stance on abortion? What's your stance on gay marriage? What both of those things have to do with marriage and family. And they're always talked about. You ever notice that? Always talked about. Why would that even be an issue? Why should that even be on the table? Marriage and family are battlegrounds, tip of the spear activities. We certainly aren't the first to be called to these front lines of this battle since, you know, Satan's been leading it long before any of us were even born. But the good news is that we already know the outcome. That's the beauty of this game we're playing, this war we're in. The good news is that we already know the outcome. We already know that darkness can never overcome light. We already know who the victor is. And fortunately for us, he has gathered us to his side as co-victors with him. Yeah, I think we've got... eh, No, we don't have time. I think I'm going to end there. Again, he has gathered us to his side as co-victors with him. So the, I, I guess this evening, really, the, the essence of the message is to be encouraged. Be encouraged. Keep reading your Bibles. Be obedient to it. Be delivered. Allow that thinking to permeate your marriage and your family. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word here this evening. It is truth that sets us free, Father, and for receiving it, we are so very grateful. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to the privacy of our own souls, to our marriages, to our families, and you will be done out to a world that needs it so desperately. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.